Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 160. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. As you're listening to this, I am away on vacation. It's the week of Thanksgiving and I am taking some much needed time to rest and recover. I know it probably seems like I go away a lot if you notice that I'm always at trainings and conferences and things like that, but that's not really restful. That's still working and I work a lot. So as I've mentioned before, my body has been telling me that I need to slow down. So I'm slowing down, I'm going on vacation. But this episode is two previous episodes of interviews with Kyle Davies, the founder of Energy Flow Coaching and the author of The Intelligent Body. You're going to hear my newest interview with Kyle next week. So I wanted to give you a preview, a prequel. <laughs> Not really. So I wanted to refresh your memory by bringing back episodes 110 and 115 in which Kyle talked about how our emotions relate to our health and chronic illness and chronic pain and how they can be relieved with getting connected back to your true self. So he talked about that in those two episodes, which you're going to hear combined into one for episode 160. And then in episode 161, you'll hear my most recent interview with Kyle when he was visiting the U.S. last week, a couple of weeks ago now. Anyway, I hope you have a restful week as well. And I will be back with a new episode the week of November 26, 2018. Until then, take care and thanks for listening to Therapy Chat. Therapy Chat Podcast wouldn't exist without the support of its listeners. If you'd like to become a member, please go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. By making a $1 per month donation, you can help Therapy Chat keep going over the long haul. Thank you for your support. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I'm so excited to share this 
fascinating conversation that I'm about to have with my guest today, Kyle Davies. Kyle, thanks so much for being on Therapy Chat today. Well, thank you very much for having me, Laura. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. <laughs> Wonderful. As you, <laughs> <laughs> as you can all hear, Kyle is calling in from Wales, which is wonderful. I'm so grateful that you are willing to be interviewed on Therapy Chat all the way from Wales about your book, The Intelligent Body, Reversing Chronic Fatigue and Pain from the Inside Out. So Kyle, let's just start off by you telling our listeners a little bit more about yourself and your work. I guess I could tell you how I arrived at where I am now, if that's any use. So I'm a psychologist by original trade. And I worked my, I started my career in management consulting, doing a whole range of different things. The thing that sort of interested me most was the coaching, counselling in in the workplace with with execs. One of the things about that was that I was, I kind of felt that people were they were operating within a role, and I I just wanted to get a little bit deeper. So I went and trained in a variety of different things from Ericksonian psychotherapy, NLP, bit of CBT, some counselling, some tapping, a whole whole variety of things. And then I started working uh, as a therapist then, as a part-time therapist in in 1999. And I was playing from a cognitive perspective, really, with anxiety, depression, and sort of stressy stuff. And in 2002, I then... Uh, was introduced to a Scottish medical doctor and he'd done some of the same therapy training as I had and his reasons were that his girlfriend at the time had chronic fatigue syndrome and as a medical doctor he was deeply frustrated because there was nothing that he could do for her and you know as we know doctors can be a bit arrogant and he thought well I should be able to do something for her but I don't seem to be able to so he did some therapy training some of the some stuff uh, some of the same stuff that I had done and he was playing around with the ideas uh, seeing clients seeing his patients uh, in a in a separate clinic and was beginning to notice that you know he was making some difference to them to their to their symptoms so I started working with him we developed the ideas we trained some therapists uh this was as i say sort of 2002 2003 and at that time there we thought this is great we're going to be rich and famous now because there is nothing out there for uh, people with chronic fatigue fibromyalgia and the, all those medically unexplained symptoms but we were wrong <laughs> and the reason we were wrong was because the you know what was at the the, the root of our work was uh, emotion and emotional stress and of course the majority of people still really look at the mind and body as separate so people uh, often in quite a hostile way would say how can you possibly say that you can help us you're a psychologist you're talking about emotion I've got a physical illness I've got physical symptoms what can you possibly do uh, so. It's, I guess, understandably to a certain extent, because, you know, there are we are seeing more and more people with medically unexplained symptoms of fatigue and pain, headaches, migraines and stomach problems and these sorts of things and insomnia. So and a lot of the time, I guess, because these are medically unexplained, when they when they come to be diagnosed as chronic fatigue or adrenal fatigue or fibromyalgia, it's a diagnosis of exclusion. 
So essentially meaning that medicine can't find anything wrong with you. Uh, so if you if your symptoms persist and they're clustered in this way, we're offering you this diagnosis. And I think that there was a, there's a deep frustration among many of the of these sufferers, understandably so, because they feel that they've been let down by by medicine because medicine was kind of of the view that, well, you know, maybe if we don't know what it is, it doesn't exist. So I think us coming along and saying it's about emotion or largely about that, or it plays a huge role, and the the the, the mind body split paradigm still being very evident, that uh, made our progress a little slower than than we hoped. So uh, interesting, actually, is it was it's amazing how hard it is to have research done. I I tried to I tried very hard talking to talking to a variety of uh, of uh, academics about having research done of of the work, and I spoke to one chap in uh, one professor in the university reasonably close to me, and he said, "I think you've got something here. You know, this is a great idea." He said, "But what you'll find in 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 the UK he said there's no money." for research for new ideas such as this, particularly a therapy. He said, your best bet would be to do a part-time PhD for six years, and then we could hope that we could get some some interest for some funding then. I thought, wow, that really, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? But my business partner, you know, the uh, doctor, kind of got a bit jaded, really, with the idea that we weren't making as much progress as he wanted. And because we were, because we were, unable to get researched and we remained in the in the, the private healthcare sector rather than being kind of embraced within within kind of mainstream and that meant we had to be in business and as a as a medical doctor he was only interested in kind of working with patients he wasn't interested in being within in business so i've i've continued continued the work and obviously now written this book the intelligent body which came out a couple of months ago and uh, yes I, what's interesting to me now i think is that there are I think back in 2002, I don't recall there being any other treatment programs, but there seem to be quite a few that have come to the surface now since. And there seems to be increasing acceptance of the idea of emotional stress and physical injury. So that's a little bit about me in the background. Is that what you wanted? Yes, yes. Thank you. That's wonderful. And, you know, I'm thinking what you're um, saying about research that if there isn't a medical solution, for example, a pill or, you know, a surgery or some type of medical treatment for the, for the issue, then no one wants to fund it, you know, (laughs) because it's so often the pharmaceutical companies that are funding this type of research, not always, but. It's not good for business otherwise, is it? Right. Because if the answer is in emotion, unless it involves prescribing antidepressants, but really even then, you know, antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications may help um, with the most acute symptoms. But when the issue is within the person, it's more about resolving the issue within the person than masking the symptoms with a medication. Are we in agreement about that? (laughs) Oh, no, we are. Absolutely. And I I think I think what's interesting here is that in Wales, and I think the UK as well, the prescriptions for antidepressants in have doubled in the last six years. So what we're experiencing is that, and there's a whole host of reasons for that, which we can go into if you want to. But, you know, it's, I, I, it, obviously it, from my perspective, it, it's good for business, but it doesn't solve the problem. Uh, no, exactly. 
So I mean, what we're seeing, you know, is, is and, and what I see an awful lot of is clients on 12 or 15 tablets and they don't really know what they are. But what they know is they're, they're taking this tablet for maybe their pain, but they're then, they think they're taking this one for the side effects of this one. Mm-hmm. And before they know it, they're, you know, this, they, they look, their house looks, looks like a drugstore. And yeah, it's uh, in the long, in the long term, it's not solving the problem. Right. It's treating the symptoms rather than the underlying issue. Yeah. But that's kind of what medicine does, doesn't it? Medicine does some fantastic things, but it has a focus on treating symptoms. And it doesn't, it, in many instances, doesn't have time to ask the question. And arguably, the pharmaceutical industries are not necessarily interested, arguably, in, in the cause anyway, because, you know, they're, it is better for business if you're treating symptoms and if people are taking statins for life, that's better than them taking them for, you know, six weeks and then stopping. Certainly. Yeah. So you, you talked in your book about the, in the beginning of the book, you talked about how you heard about a link between anger and heart disease and then about prostate cancer and stress. Can you talk about how the stress response happens in the body? Because you mentioned adrenal fatigue, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, and also irritable bowel syndrome you talked about in the book, these clusters of symptoms that there's really, again, you can only treat the symptoms in medicine, but there's no real medical reason that can be identified and people get really frustrated with that idea that, oh, it's all in my head, or I don't like being told that this is just emotional because it means that, you know, I need to get it together. That's certainly the American way. And I think, you know, typical of. That's absolutely right, isn't it? I think, I think, so there's probably a couple of points. I, the first thing in terms of mind and body, I think, you know, one of the, one of the ways that we can see that mind and body are connected is through stress and, stress like emotion conjures up ideas for 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 people and those ideas are often probably a little bit further from the truth than they'd like to to believe so people often think that stress is that nervous agitated feeling that they have if their boss is shouting at them uh, but i i would say well that's an emotional feeling so if you're aware that you feel uncomfortable that's that's feeling feedback now it may be that your body is in a state of stress with cortisol adrenaline and whatnot coursing your veins but it may it may not be it may be that you're just feeling emotional feelings so the, the two i guess the two things about stress i think are important are firstly that our body can be in a state of stress or the stress response without us being consciously aware of that which i, I think it's a you know i think that's extremely interesting mm-hmm. um and i think i mentioned this in the book that if this well, you know I, years ago i read a book by the psychiatrist dr david servan schreiber called healing without prozac and freud and he talks about an experiment where he's he's measuring the emotional act the emotional activity of within the brain uh, when when people were observing something kind of disturbing so we had his uh, subjects watch a disturbing film and then he was measuring i think the heart rate the blood pressure and the activity of the emotional brain and he said they had one lady in and she was watching this video and he was looking at her 
you know, the readings. And he said her heart rate was was getting was going high. Her blood pressure was kind of sky high. And her, the activity of her emotional brain was kind of going bonkers. And he was thinking, oh, my God, this lady is in a deep state of stress. I better go check. She's OK. So he goes into the lab and he says, are you OK? Do you want me to turn this film off? And she looks at him with an element of surprise and says, oh, no, I'm perfectly fine. I'm quite happy watching this. Now, his his argument was, well, she's not an emotionally intelligent person. She's not aware of what, what, what's going on. I would say, well, this is a great example how we can be kind of locked out of our feeling senses and how our body can be in a deep state of stress without us being consciously aware of it. And I go on to say, well, yeah, if, if for that particular lady, there's every chance that at some point that she could develop symptoms because she isn't aware when it, when her, her body is in this state of stress. So that's the first thing I think is important. This, this is stress is a, you know, something that, that is a, a, a response in the body and we don't have to be aware of it. The second important thing I think about stress or the stress response is that it's pretty much the same, apparently, regardless of whether the the trigger is an emotional trauma, a, a physical injury or an illness. So, you know, you could be hit over the head with a frying pan. You could have a, a case, a bad case of flu or you could have a relationship breakup. And the stress response in the body is exactly the same. So, you know, as, as you've seen, Laura, in my book, I, I, I like to kind of, when I've been working with clients, I like to try to make things super simple. So I, I've, I kind of talk about it in terms of a, a stress bucket and with the idea being that when our stress bucket is full, we tend to get symptoms. But I, I'm looking at rather than it just being our emotional stress or emotion that gets locked up in that stress bucket, it can be things like if you have a bad diet, if you're drinking too much, if you're over-exercising, if you're not sleeping, you know, if you've had an accident, if you've uh, if you've had an had a, a, an illness. I mean, last year I had a couple of clients that started with me and they said to me that they're with they both had uh, fibromyalgia and they said that their fibromyalgia was caused by a car accident mm -hmm. and for me that was the car accident was sort of the the final straw if you will so my sense of it was well what we're looking at is a reasonably full stress bucket the body is always is already kind of reasonably stressed and this is the final piece that kind of pushes them over the, the the edge. So the way I look at it in terms of, I kind of going back to your question is, you know, how stress manifests. I see it as a bit of a chain reaction, really. That when our stress bucket is full, which for me a lot of it is a buildup of emotional stress. I think that that emotional stress leads probably to a rewiring of the emotional midbrain, which is the HPA axis, uh, which I think then causes uh, irregularity within the nervous system, the immune system, the endocrine system. And then what we get from there is a whole range, a diverse range of, of symptoms. Because what we're used to experiencing is that medicine or treatments either work on the symptoms or maybe they try to balance the systems of, of the body, where my sense is what we need to do is say, well, it, there's every chance that this chain reaction is taking place. So we need to come right back and look at uh, the the original source which is the stress and i think you know the the biggest piece is the emotional stress and i rec I, I do recognize well i would say that wouldn't i because that's what i work with uh but i think you know if you've had a car accident that's a one-off 
You know, if you've had surgery, that's a one-off. If you've had a bad case of flu, well, yeah, that you can move past that. But usually with the emotion, from my perspective, it's a it's a drip feed. And I think the other kind of bit that sort of goes to that, and do stop me if I'm talking too much, is that, again, I, I, I think, and this is coming from the work of Antonio uh, Damazio, and, and he suggests that emotions and feelings are slightly different things and the structures in the brain involved in producing them are slightly different. And he suggests that emotion is a non-conscious process that is supposed to trigger feelings. So we have emotional feelings. The thing that's important for me about that is that what we know is that we are it's possible for us to block our feelings so that that lady in the experiment was was if there was mm-hmm. if there were the presence of any feelings of increased heart rate or that it's possible for it for us to tune out of feelings so you know anger fear sadness all that it is possible for us to tune out and therefore not feel them and i think what happens is is that is that even if we can suppress our feelings the emotions because they're non-conscious they're still there so they're still kind of going on in the background. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, um, and I think I think what happens is, is that it's almost as if our body uses emotional feelings, just like it uses hunger, just like it uses tiredness as, as a feedback mechanism to get our attention. It uses, even though emotion is more complex, it uses emotion as, as or emotional feelings as, as a feedback. And I think that what happens is that if that emotion, if, the, if those feelings become blocked, it's, a, it's almost as if the body decides it's got to find some way of getting that message through. So it begins to send symptoms. And that's when people experience what I think is a, you know, obviously a, a diverse range of anxiety, depression, through to migraines, insomnia. And it could be, as you know, we were talking before the show, the work of, of Gabor Mate, he, he'll talk about cancer, heart disease, arthritis, you know, all these sorts of things. So, the, you know, it's uh, s- some people are skeptical of these ideas, but I think that it's certainly interesting. And I guess I look at when it comes to chronic, if anyone's experiencing a chronic health challenge, I, I, I don't. And this is suppose where the, the simple idea of the stress bucket comes in. I, I, I don't think even though we like to think of things as that causes, you know, this causes that. My sense is there probably isn't a single primary cause. My sense is it's probably a little bit more like a combination lock. So between your your environment, your genes, your upbringing, your current emotion, your diet, your life, you know, all of those things factor in. And I think when all of the, the numbers of the combination lock are lined up, the locks, you know, the lock shuts and then you get 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 symptoms. So. I, I've, I've, I've forgotten what your question was now. <laughs> My ramblings. No, you answered it. Um, in a way, I asked you to talk about the stress response. So I think that your your answer was wonderful. And if you will, I'd like to talk a little more about that even because you talk about the, and you mentioned the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. I'm really curious about about this. You say in the book, I'm going to read a little part. It says, short-term stress, which can trigger the fight or flight response in the body is not problematic and does not negatively impact the body and brain. However, when the body remains in a state of stress, 
The adrenal glands release the stress hormones, cortisol, epinephrine, which is adrenaline, and norepinephrine. These stress hormones course through your veins, affecting your blood vessels and en- en- route to your heart. And you talked about over time, if the stress response remains switched on, these chemical changes can cause structural damage. I'm really interested in that because, you know, that seems to me to be the link between the ACEs study that you and I were talking about, Dr. Felitti's work and from Kaiser Permanente and the physical pain symptoms, disease, you know, the, the shorter lifespan and the stomach problems. Like I'm really curious about that HPA axis and what role that plays. I don't know. So maybe you do. (laughs) Therapist, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend therapy notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Well, okay, so there's a couple of points. I suppose the first point is in terms of how much do we know? I remember last year, the year before, talking to an academic who worked at the time for the uh, National Institute of Health over in Washington, D.C. And I was explaining this to her because I was saying, you know, could it be that there's overactivity in the HPA axis? Could it be the hypothalamus is in overdrive? So the hypothalamus gland is a little bit like the master gland. It's a little bit like the captain of the ship where it's it's overseeing everything to do with survival, our blood pressure, our heart rates, uh, our water intake, our food intake, our sexual behavior, our, you know, our, uh, our response to heat and all that kind of stuff. And it's overseeing everything and it gets signals in from the body and then sends signals out to the body through the pituitary glands to have the body kind of do stuff. And what happens in when symptoms uh, are occurring you know the hypothesis is that the hypothalamus gland and you know through the pituitary and the adrenals then become somewhat overactive the only thing is is that we don't actually have a way of measuring this so i was explaining this i said well could it be that that those mid brain regions the amygdala as well could they be overactive can we can we measure that and she was saying well i'm not sure that in terms of the the level of detail that you're talking about, whether at the moment we can measure that to see whether 
they are actually overactive. I guess in terms of the output, we probably can. So somebody with uh, adrenal fatigue, the, there's every chance that their cortisol levels are, are absolutely on the floor, you know, because they've it's been it's, they've had so much uh, secreted in, 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 in into the system that it's you know it's kind of on its back. So I guess in terms of output, you can measure, but it's also as well in terms of uh, you know we're, I guess we're looking at symptoms and the fact that, in the, certainly when it comes to things like uh, chronic fatigue and pain, as I say, this uh, and the sorts of sorts of uh, symptoms that I've been working with is that there is they're diagnosed through exclusion, as I was saying earlier. So the symptoms are present, and the you know people with these symptoms are not making them up, but uh, medicine up to this point has not been able to find anything that's wrong. So this has got to be kind of something that's going on somewhere. So the idea being, I guess, that if if uh, if the symptoms are present, it's almost as if the body is acting as if there's something wrong. So that idea of of the the hypothalamus being the captain of the ship is if that captain of the ship is believes there to be something wrong, then he's sending signals out. You know, if he thinks that there's a there's a there's a, a hole in the you know in the in the side of the ship he's probably sending everyone to, you've got to work you've got to get down to that area of the boat you've got to work really hard so it's it's almost like that's happening the body is acting as if there is something wrong but it's it's, it's there's no in external uh, invader so uh, for example yeah. you know if if you have a if you were to have a case of flu a flu virus enters your system your immune system uh, acts um and cells are sent to to attack the virus the virus kind of bursts it sends it, it it will then trigger the hypothalamus into a temporary overdrive state and of course all the all the symptoms that we experience of a runny nose swollen glands sore throat all of those are the, are, are as a result of our body responding to there being a problem and, and it's trying to kill this invader uh, and of course, the symptoms are temporary because when once the that invading pathogen has been killed, the 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 hypothalamus and the HPA axis go back to normal functioning. The 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 kind of idea with stress, you know, as you were just reading that passage, is that sometimes we can be aware if we're in the the that 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 fight or flight mode. And I guess the kind of i the idea is. And it's almost a bit of a cliche now, the idea of, well, if, you know, back in the olden days, if we were being chased by a bear in, in the forest and, you know, initially we spot the bear, the body moves into fight or flight, we run like crazy, we escape the bear or get eaten. But if we escape the bear, at some point later, the, the we come out of fight or flight and we go back to normal functioning. So the, the kind of idea really is with, my work is that probably what we're experiencing is a lot of low-level stresses that we're not aware of, and as a result of that, the stress response and, and because we, you know, the, the stress response can be on without us being aware of it, is that the stress response stays on, and then after a period of time, the body begins to break down. So, does that does that sort of make sense? Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, and you know, I'm fascinated by the gut health piece and IBS. I mean, you know, my clients, pretty much almost all of my clients have childhood trauma and attachment trauma. And so many of them have IBS or, you know, other stomach issues. 
So can you talk about the inflammatory response and how that relates to health? I think so. The sort of the, the, the root of me touching on the gut microbiome is that uh, what I've witnessed is over, over the kind of years of doing this is that certainly at, over the last five years, there has been this surge of interest in nutrition. And it seems to be the case that there are lots of people that seem to be believing that, well, if I get my nutrition sorted, mm -hmm. my health will be absolutely fine. And, you know, people are talking about depression, anxiety, it all starts in the gut. So, and I, I guess I found this a bit frustrating, really, uh, having seen, having worked with people with, with chronic health problems and seeing how they'd done a lot of work on their diet and still they were presenting lots of symptoms. So my knowledge about it is rudimentary. There's, 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 there's also the kind of idea, well, everything comes from inflammation as well. And I think it seems what we seem to be, what seems to be being uh, uncovered is that we have, we have a nervous system, the enteric nervous system within, within the gut. And so there are neurons with it, with, you know, uh, within the gut. And therefore, when we have a gut feeling that comes from, from the, the flow of intelligent activity within the gut, but there is this, the, the, the flow of, of information and channels run between the, the gut microbiome and the brain. So the gut does affect the brain and the brain affects the gut and the kind of heart plays a role in that as well. So this is why, it can, you know, you, you know it, it can be the case that uh, if, if, you, if, you have, if you have a bad gut, an upset stomach, that can affect your brain. So, the, you know, there is that theory that, well, anxiety can arise from problems in your digestive system, which arguably could be the truth. Uh, I suppose my sense of it is that because of the connection between brain mm -hmm. and gut microbiome, it's probably more likely the case that, it, that our emotion is affecting our gut through our yes. nervous system. I um, think so too. <laughs> so and again you know I, I would say well the 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 caveat to that is that i'm coming from this perspective my work is based on that but here's to say i guess because because this idea of emotion and stress leading to chronic health challenges and uh, is reasonably new certainly in terms of doing something about it or having a treatment for it most of the people that i see and i have seen over the last 15 years will have tried a, a truckload of things first and mm -hmm. uh, nutritional programs is something that most people have tried. And, it, 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 you know, whilst it, there may be some, some benefit, it doesn't get, in my experience, it doesn't get people better. Yes. And, you know, I think what you said before about how there are so many variables involved, it's not, to me, it's not your gut causes anxiety. I think it's a, it's a reciprocal it goes both ways. It's not a one way gut to brain. It's brain to gut, gut to brain, heart, you yes. know, all of the circular systems. causality really, isn't it? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Not a one, one thing, but you know, for me, it seems like stress, as you mentioned, and in my world, childhood trauma is a theme that you can almost find in almost everyone who has, you know, physical health symptoms, but that's that's a little bit maybe of an overgeneralization. I, I think it's absolutely true because I mean, one of the interesting things that I found with with people that I've worked with is that obviously I always ask about for a history of symptoms, and if I'm working with somebody with IBS, chronic fatigue, f 
fibromyalgia or uh, 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 adrenal fatigue, they'll say, well, I had my diagnosis two years ago, five years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever. And when we, we, we track back, you know, kind of more medically unexplained symptoms, they always go back to kind of usually childhood. And there was, there's always a variety of things that have happened in their childhood. So there's, my experience is childhood trauma, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a broad way is always playing a role. Well, I love that you said that because that's really what I think too. But I think that one of the problems in that statement for a lot of people possibly who are listening or people we know in our lives is that people don't identify their experiences have as having been traumatic. Like it can be traumatic for a child to move to a new city. It can be changing schools. It can be moving to a different house in the same neighborhood. It doesn't mean someone abused you or mistreated you deliberately, but it could still have been traumatic for you as a child. And there are so many, if we really opened up the definition more broadly to what children actually experience as being traumatic situations where they felt helpless and they felt alone and scared and they know, you know, they didn't feel like anyone could help them. That's, that's a lot of things because children are powerless by being children. <laughs> well, it's, it's pretty much everything, but <laughs> I, I guess, you know, it, it, it is potentially everything, you know, I guess one of the ways that I look at things which may be a little bit different is that my, the way I work is that I come from a perspective of suggesting that. So trauma is, would be a result of kind of stress and emotion is it, my perspective is that, well, it's not the external events mm-hmm. as such cause our emotional triggers. Our emotion arises inside of us. And so this is why we can't, I don't think necessarily we can look at events. And if people say, well, my life wasn't traumatic. Well, it's not a necessarily about that. It's about the way you unconsciously responded to that to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, and it's about your natural wiring. Um, now, obviously, I have to be very careful because, you know, uh, it's it's the the there's something of a can be something of a fine line between empowerment and blame. Mm. And I'm see my work is about being empowered and saying, all right, well, yes, if my emotional, if my emotions arise from inside of me, if I'm creating them as opposed to them being triggered, let me look at how I can uh, more effectively process them for my benefit uh, rather than, oh my God, you saying this is my fault, which is obviously the blame side. So I try to steer, steer clear of that. But I think, yeah, I, I think it's uh my sense generally is we're a little bit too externalized in 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 our culture. We're and I think mm-hmm. that's why we're seeing so much more chronic health. You know, so many more chronic health problems across across the the you know uh, across the scale. Really, there is this focus on what's going on outside of me, and I, I think one of the things that we need to do is bring it back to what's going on inside of me. I, I know I've kind of I've, I've I've gone off at a bit of a tangent there. So no, bring me back. no, not at all. But let's. Let's take it back to that empowering stance that you have. Your book is called The Intelligent Body, and it's the idea that your body can heal from the inside out. So why don't you talk with us and let our listeners know about how you work with the body and help your clients, the people you coach and work with, to heal their their symptoms or their chronic illnesses and chronic pain with your work? I guess there's a number of 
probably important pieces. So we talked about symptoms and we talked about how symptoms can get worse. And, you know, from what we were just saying about, about trauma and what I've experienced is that people's symptoms do get worse and they, they, they come and go. So everybody that I've worked with, with uh, something chronic, be it fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, IBS, they, it always starts with something milder earlier in life. And, you know, which could be a bit of anxiety, a bit of depression, insomnia, headaches, bad stomach, these sorts of things. And then what, or bad back, chest pains, these sorts. And what happens is that either those sim- symptoms subside or people uh, do some work to try to alleviate those symptoms, but the symptoms come back. Now, m- my perspective, you know, as I was saying earlier with the idea of, of emotion being a non-conscious process and our body using emotion as a way of getting our attention, is my sense is that, okay, well, we could look at it in a metaphorical way that uh, your body, tr- everything you feel is your body trying to give you some feedback, your body trying to get your attention. So be it hunger or be it uh, a bad head. And what we need to do is actually pay attention to that. So my sense is that if we are blocking our emotional feelings, the body starts to use symptoms as a way of getting our attention. And it will effectively increase the volume or intensity of those symptoms if we don't pay attention to them. And I think people intuitively sort of know this is that kind of thing that if if somebody has had a particularly overwhelming or frustrating day at work at at, at the office and they, they come home with a bad head, I think people often know that they've got a bad head. You know, they've got this this headache because of you know, it's been a particularly uh, frustrating or anger-provoking day at the office, and you know. But however, I think if that if that headache were to go on for say two weeks, I think they would that intuitive sense of well, it's actually still because I haven't dealt with my feelings uh, and that situation. They probably go to their their doctor who would give them some meds, and if that continued, they'd probably have some tests. And it would look at the symptoms. And I think people forget that they probably, you know, intuitively have a sense of that those symptoms are actually trying to tell them something. So that's the first bit, which I think is is if and the, 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 the very idea that the body is increasing the volume of symptoms, it that doesn't mean that the message behind the symptoms is any different. So if it's still about blocked emotion, the message is the same. I think that, again, sort of unconsciously, we have a sense that if I'm getting very big symptoms, it must requ- there must be a very big problem requiring a very big solution, uh, which in my experience is, is not the case. It's the message, which is in most instances, you know, a blockage of my emotional flow, uh, is that that's the same regardless of whether the, the symptoms are mild or the symptoms are severe. Uh, so that's that's the I guess that's the first piece, and, and I, I look at it in a in in a very simple way that the 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 body acts with a sense of 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 uh, immediacy, and obviously like the person having a, a headache at the end of the workday, which might kick off around lunchtime, you know, if it's been a bad meeting, the the body responds quite quickly. If we are if we are uh, blocking our emotional feelings, 
there's every chance that the body will respond quite quickly with symptoms. And what happens is, is that once the body gets to producing symptoms, it gets there quicker next time. And of course, we know our bodies work like this with everything. It's like if, 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 you, uh, if you're a sports person and you attain a certain level of fitness that takes you six months to get there, if you drop off your training for a while and then go back, you'll get back to that, you know, that level of fitness much quicker the second time round. So that that can serve us in some aspects, but it, it, the, the same principle, I believe, is at work with symptoms. So if you're a person that experiences, say, anxiety symptoms, it may have taken quite a buildup of things in your stress bucket to begin with before your body started to send those anxiety symptoms. But once you've had them, it, the chances are it'll get there uh, quicker next time, which I guess m- means that you've got to pay attention. So that's that's the sort of the first bit really is 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 that idea that okay well my this what we're going to do is interpret our our symptoms from the perspective that they they may be a block of the flow of you know my emotional flow or the flow of me uh, so again the sort of slightly esoteric bit of that is I think there is an energy a, a consciousness that that is us so I, I talk about it being in the book about it being our our true self and I'm not trying to define our true self other than it being probably something far greater than we we we, we currently conceive of uh, but when that when that true self is blocked our emotion gets blocked and then the body presents uh, symptoms. So th- th- a huge part of the work is, is is really getting people back in touch with that that true self. And I do that through feeling and it's translating symptoms into feelings, essentially. And that really is a paradigm shift for lots of people. So, you know, you talked about people with, with you know, having patients of yours with IBS. The majority of people think that IBS is about their diet and about things that they're, they're eating. But I've had lots of clients where when they're okay, they can, you know, they can almost eat what they like. But when things are bad, a glass of water could trigger IBS uh, mm. symptoms for them. And of course, what they're, and this is it, isn't it? This is what we do as, as, as humans is that we work in the opposite way of science. We're looking at, we form beliefs quite quickly on a small amount of uh, evidence. And then we, we look out in, in, into the world and we filter everything else out that doesn't conform with our with our beliefs and we're not consciously doing that but that's what happens unfortunately what happens is that people you know everyone that i work with and i'm sure this may be the case for you as well is that they have their ideas their kind of preconceived ideas about what causes their symptoms and certainly with ibs it's well because if i've eaten this or i've eaten that so then to say and of course, cause and effect are quite closely linked. There, it makes sense. Well, if my if I've got a problem with my with my gut, it makes sense that I'm something that I'm putting in there. The idea that it's it's some emotional stress that is is built up in my stress bucket actually shifts cause and effect a little bit further apart. But it's it's a little bit of a you know you have to that's you know you have to be open to the fact that your original theory, your original belief, might be wrong. And that that can take a little bit of time for people. So some people get that straight away, and they're very open to the fact that, well, yeah, actually, the way I've been I've been thinking is probably not right. Uh, and they they can get that notion that, okay, well, you know, there may be some some uh, uh, feelings that I'm not aware of underneath those underneath those symptoms. And again, that's that's why that 
uh, Antonio uh, uh, Damasio idea of emotion and feeling being different is so important because again lots of people will say yeah yeah but i can feel my i feel my uh, uh, feelings and i'd say well there there probably are some that you are aware of uh, but the fact you're having symptoms would suggest that there are emotions under the surface and the feelings associated with those emotions are being blocked and that's why your body is is uh, sending symptoms in, in, instead so what we have to do is kind of assume that are emotions underneath those uh, symptoms. So that's, you know, you know, I guess in a nutshell, that that's the sort of the start of of how the work uh, begins to unfold, and then I guess it gets deeper from there, really. Yeah. So thank you for all of that background, and you have pretty clear examples, some actual exercises and case examples in your book to help people realize how they can work to move through those emotional blockages and get more connected with their true self. I think we could have a whole second discussion just about that. If you wanted to, I would love to have you back to talk about that because, you know, I think that so often on this podcast, I'm, I'm helping people learn more about something, but then they're like, but how, <laughs> How? How do you do it? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's one thing I, I try to do in, in, in the book. And I, I'm not for a second because I got accused of this last week, which I thought was ridiculous because I never actually said it. But I, <laughs> I'm not suggesting that people can get well by reading the book. Right. But I do lay out up to the point, you know, this process is evolving all of the time as, I, as, as everything should really. But when I wrote this, you know, this, I basically put everything in there. So everything that I was using with my clients everything that i'd worked up with my colleagues went into the book uh and i am sh- i would hope that there are people that can take themselves through that and derive some benefit from it but yeah i'm not suggesting that people can get completely well by reading a book uh, but it, it is all it's pretty much it's pretty much all there yeah and i think that um for me i can read a book and i can you know try some techniques and it can be very helpful and help me understand where I want to go from there. And then, you know, the work with someone is what really takes it deeper. And to that end, who do you work with and where? Like, do you only work with people directly in Wales? I, I don't know. I, I, I work probably 70% of my clients are in the US. Hmm. So I do a lot of work via Skype. I do. Uh, I have a, a colleague in West Wales. I have a colleague um, who does this work in Arlington, Virginia. Oh. Uh, so, and I'm. My intention is to start training practitioners in, in this work, and I'm hoping that we can set up a first training, maybe next March or April, uh, which will be in the US. The, the intention is to have that in Washington D.C. Uh, if all goes according to plan. How wonderful. Yeah. I'm only an hour away from there. That's that's <laughs> exciting to hear. So that that's the plan. But yeah, but I, I've worked with, you know, I guess I spent the last 15 years really working with people all over the all over the, the planet, really. That's the joy of Skype. And I guess because this is this is, you know, I, I'm not really doing anything to people. You know, it's a it's <laughs> it's sort of a teaching process, really. You know, my my job is to be the advocate for the intelligent body really i'm i'm trying to get people to reconnect with their 
with their true self. And when they when they do, when they begin to, you know, when they can see symptoms from this different perspective, they can begin to feel again. So they can reawaken their their uh, emotional feelings, get more aligned with their true self. They begin to notice that it's the idea that well, if I'm if I'm processing my emotion. Uh, my emotional feelings, my body doesn't need to send symptoms. The only reason my body sends symptoms is because the emotions have been stuck in my stress bucket. So it's a it's a very simple idea, um, but it's you know that's what I I guess that's what I'm I'm trying to teach through this work. Well, I think your book is amazing, and I'm sure that many people who are listening are not only want to going to want to go get the book, but also get in touch with you and possibly, you know, do some Skype sessions with you. So how can people find you and your book? The book is available, hopefully through all good retailers, certainly on Barnes and Noble and Amazon. Uh, and it's, you can get it as an audio book, as a Kindle, and it's a hardback. I'm knocking it there. Um, <laughs> and you can get hold. I, I'm on Facebook and social media and all that kind of stuff. I have, uh, if you're on Facebook and you do get pain and fatigue symptoms, I have a uh, a group called the Fatigue and Pain Solutions Group, and I uh, have been up to this point doing weekly live broadcasts where I kind of deal with questions from people and talk for half an hour, ramble for half an hour about them. <laughs> um, my website is energyflowcoaching.com and okay. you can you can uh, find a little bit find out a little bit more about us there. Great. I so, will put yes. all of that in the show notes so people can get right to you from this episode. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today is part two of my interview with Kyle Davies, the author of The Intelligent Body, Reversing Chronic Fatigue and Pain from the Inside Out. Kyle, thanks for coming back to Therapy Chat today. I'm so excited about being back. It's brilliant. I just hope that I don't repeat what I said in the first episode, but I'm sure you'll keep me on track just in case I do. You can slap me around a bit. Um, <laughs> Nonviolent, nonviolence only over here, but I will definitely help you remember what we wanted to talk about. But yeah, so in the, the first interview we had, which aired just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about your book and all of the things that can be going on in the body to cause chronic fatigue and pain and sort of how those processes work. So let's kind of pick up where we were in and start off with um, talking about how emotions play a, a part in that. Emotions. Oh, it's a, it's a big word, emotions. It means so much to so many people, doesn't it? And uh, <laughs> there seem to be countless theories of, of what, it all, what, what, what it's all about. And my sense of it, most people think that emotion is a mental process. You know, you think some thoughts, you have some emotions in there. If you want to change you, the way you feel, you change the way you think. And... My work really kind of goes against that. It, it sort of struck me when I wrote the book and I looked into some of the theories of emotion, a lot of them were kind of trying to explain what's going on, what's going on inside. And there didn't seem to be a great deal that was looking at the role that emotion plays in health. 
Now, I would have to admit, I'm probably not completely up to a, up to speed with all the all the academic research that's, that's taken place at the moment. But it, there didn't seem to be a, a great deal to me. So I've I think through my probably really through my practice and working with people and my own intuitive feelings on it. What I've written in the book is my my own little take on what emotion is. You know, and I've, I've borrowed ideas from here and there as well. But it strikes me that emotion is a complex physiological process that is affecting sort of all of the body and all of the brain, certainly the, the, the major organs of, of the body. And we know that the, the gut and the heart and the, the non-thinking part of the brain play a huge role and that our emotional processing occurs at far higher speeds than our cognitive processing. So whilst the majority of strategies to try to change one's emotion uh, involve thinking, that to me seems somewhat futile if our emotion is affecting our thinking. So my sense of it is that there's kind of a few things that uh, that uh, affect our, our emotion. One of them really is that the idea that our emotion arises inside of us. I think an awful lot of the time people think that emotion is triggered by some external event. And my approach is, is more uh, in alignment with the idea that our emotion is somehow bubbling up from from inside and following the work of uh, Antonio Damazio he, he talks about emotion as being a non-conscious process uh, and I, I can't remember whether I talked about this last time but he's what we, we, you did touch on it but I think it's great to review because it's so it's really so complicated and kind of can be hard to understand so this is a good explanation to go more in depth with so thank you please keep going <laughs> so his idea is that, that there are different brain structures involved in the in the production of emotion and then feelings with the idea being that emotions are supposed to trigger feelings and obviously they happen simultaneously almost and what we are what we know is that we can uh, block our emotional feelings but which means obviously we don't feel, but that doesn't mean that, that our emotion stops. Uh, our emotion is still bubbling away underneath and therefore is affecting the brain, affecting the body. And ultimately, from my, my perspective and the perspective of people experiencing symptoms of one sort or, or another, the fact that emotion is still being produced, it, get, it, it backs up, it builds up, it gets blocked and then that leads to a, a rewiring of, of the, the uh, emotional midbrain. So I think that for me emotion the idea that my emotion is arising inside of me is 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 useful. And the, there's I guess there's two sort of idiosyncratic approaches I take. One is that uh, in terms of being empowered and looking at emotion in useful ways, I, I tend to talk about emotion as being a feedback mechanism which my body is sending me as a result of my interaction with my environment. Now, I, I also talk in the book about this slightly nebulous idea about a, a true self, which is a, a quasi-spiritual notion that there is this, this energy, this consciousness that flows through us. And we don't necessarily have to define it, but there is this deeper true self with, uh, that is within us. So I look at emotion as being feedback about our interaction with our environment, inviting us 
to align with our true self. And I look at our intuitive feelings, things like realizations, inner knowings, little gentle nudges, epiphanies, those things as being direct communication from our true self. And then our emotion as being a little tap on the shoulder to remind us that we need, if we can, to act in alignment with that true self. And, you know, a lot of my work is focused on being empowered. And the idea of that is rather than looking at my emotions being triggered by something outside of me and then me frantically trying to change something outside of me or blaming something outside of me, if I can look at my emotion as arising from inside of me as maybe an indication that I might either be deviating from my true self or that I simply need to align my actions or my words with my true self. It, 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 by taking away the judgment of external circumstances, it, it reduces our suffering hugely. My sense of it is, you know, we are we're designed to experience all of our feelings. And as long as we allow them, they can flow through us. But frequently what we do is we automatically kind of resist them or block them because we think we're going to drown in them or we think they are who you know who we are or we or we're tra- frantically trying to fix outside life and we're judging outside life we often judge life and we judge ourselves and that puts a layer of what i see as suffering on top of whatever emotion i might be feeling so if i'm in the workplace and my my boss is doing something that i don't like and i'm I'm allowing it to happen. And my body, should we say, sends me the emotion of anger. I would say that, well, my body is inviting me to align with my true self and, and act in, in, a, in an authentic way in that context, rather than saying my boss makes me angry, because that judgment will really lay, you know, add, add a layer of, in inverted commas, suffering to the emotion that I'm experiencing. So that's my kind of sense of what emotion is it's that you know it's it's a simple idea really that it's feedback about our interaction with our environment but i guess what i try to do with my work is is have people focus on the emotion that they're experiencing now so you know borrowing from the idea of of candice pert you know she talked about uh, our emotion as being sort of no different from uh, feelings of hunger or feelings of tiredness they're just feedback mechanisms so I, I you know I tend to look at with my clients tend to look at emotion as being something that is happening now and because many of the people I work with are not really feeling their emotions because they've learned to block their feelings their body is then sending symptoms so I, I'm translating symptoms back into what the emotions would be underneath and it's and I'm obviously I'm doing that in the present moment so if a person you know has uh, an increase in symptoms of pain or fatigue or stomach or bowel you know upset at 2 30 on a tuesday afternoon i'm translating it back to uh, emotion that is present in their body that they're not feeling at 2 30 you know on that thursday afternoon and it's making it very much about now and it can be that there is something that connects to things in the past is it usually does history repeats itself and it's very often the case that 
the the pattern of blocking emotion certainly around you know particular contexts or with certain people we will usually have started early in childhood but my my focus for the most part is you know understanding those patterns but then looking at what somebody can do now so it's the idea that emotion is about now and from that perspective i i don't try to change people's thinking it's just you know going back to what i was saying earlier the idea that well our emotion you know i don't believe that we can in this moment we can control the emotion that we have and i i think that those self help ideas that are about completely taking charge and control of your emotion are misguided i don't think we necessarily can control the 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 emotional feelings that we have in this moment i think we can take steps to affect the direction of our emotion into the future by where we place our attention i think our behavior our words our thoughts our actions today affects the the emotion that we can potentially experience tomorrow and the day after and the day after but in this moment now i don't think i can control the emotional experience that i have and allowing it to flow is far better i think than just trying to change it it's it's interesting to me i think that i think we would remove an entire layer of suffering if we allowed ourselves to suffer a little so if we almost embraced the emotional feelings that we had without believing that it's me without believing that i'm going to drowning it with a a sense of knowing that it's part of my experience it it will flow through me if i allow it it maybe i need to take action on it it maybe that i just need to feel it if we can do that and we can allow it to flow knowing that arises inside of me without having to fix the the environment around me we i think we remove an entire layer of suffering my sense of it is for the most part people are they you know we're driven to alleviate our internal discomfort and i think in doing that because almost everybody believes that their their feeling experience is directly caused by an external event people are all almost automatically frantically trying to fix their environment in order to fix their feelings and if they can turn that around and believe that well actually well yes i'm go there's going to be an there's going to be this energy within the environment i'm not i can't extricate myself from the from the environment entirely however if i can believe and feel into the notion that my emotional experience is arising inside of me and it it will fluctuate you know moods change so i don't always have the same emotional experience or the same feeling experience to the same external event so knowing that and knowing that it arises inside of me means i don't have to frantically fix life outside of me and that means well i can allow myself to feel what i feel i can believe that everything i feel is all right so i'm accepting myself my emotion is not a problem and doesn't need to be fixed or solved it's just feedback and i think the more we can do that the more our uh, resulting behavior is constructive and the less we we will suffer if that makes sense i i'm i'm covering a lot of stuff there quite quickly aren't I? I hope i'm not rambling too much no no you were that was really fascinating i thought and i was thinking a ton while you were talking one thing i would like to say is that the idea that changing your thinking is a solution you know i hear from so many people who kind of they come to therapy and they're disgusted with themselves because they can't 
change the way they think. And they're, you know, they're saying, I know I shouldn't think this way. I know I should just tell myself not to do that. And, you know, it's like that reveals the limitation of the changing your thinking. Yeah, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work, does it? Really? Right. I mean, it's and it, it's interesting, actually, just on a, on that point. So I'm, I've got a client at the moment who's going through divorce and the first her first session her, she'd had a we were talking about essentially the massive layer of suffering she was experiencing because uh she was trying to normalize the emotions that she was having and because as i was saying earlier our emotion will flood through and affect our thinking as soon as emotion is present in the body and the and the brain that our thinking centers light up so thinking begins and which is understandable really but I think, you know, back in the olden days when we were probably living in tribes in the jungle being chased by bears, having emotion and then thinking is you're quickly thinking about how to escape. But I think the types of the, the mind loops that seem to we seem to have evolved into is where we were trying to find meaning or analyze the, the, the emotions that we're, we're feeling. We're trying to solve them or, you know, this sort of stuff in rather than you know, looking for actions to take. So people get caught up in, in these really destructive mind loops. So she was thinking a lot, trying to justify and qualify and normalize her, her feeling experience, even talking to, to people about, is it okay for me to feel this? Should I feel this? Should I be feeling something else? So coming back to what I was saying, you know, earlier, the simple idea of allowing everything you feel to be okay Believing that my what I feel is not a problem and what I feel doesn't need to be solved. It may be that what I feel is is trying to give me a nudge to take some action out there in life. But what I feel in and of itself does not need to be solved. When we can be in that space, all of that suffering goes. But it also reduces the amount of mental chatter that we have. I think because we because of Facebook and social media and all this kind of stuff, we 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 are far too externally referenced in in my view, and this is I think it's a huge cause of lots of problems. I think you know certainly the the people I work with with uh, anxiety more than anything else, their their external reference far outweighs their internal reference. So they they're always looking at trying to match themselves to some version of how they should be in the world. Uh, and of course, we're constantly getting this feedback from media about kind of how we should be. And that that massive deviation from true self, ultimately, you know, the body is, then tries to give us a nudge to say, you know, this you're deviating from your true self here. So I'm going to send you some symptoms, possibly anxiety symptoms to try to bring you back on track. And of course, what I experience is people think that the symptoms are bad and evil, that they just want to lance like a boil. Whereas really, from my perspective, symptoms are always just a tap on the shoulder. So if it's anxiety symptoms, it's very often that there's a massive external reference. reference. Somebody's wearing a mask. Somebody's trying to fit in to do the right thing to, to, to people, please. And in doing so, losing the essence of themselves, losing their connection with their with their true self. So I think, yeah, it's... Uh, and, and and again, that idea that if emotion does affect thinking, which is what I find, is if we come back and deal with our emotion, the, I think I my belief is that thinking takes care of itself. Uh, but if we try to, because I started my, my my career, you know, I had a very uh, cognitive approach, and I spent a long time trying to battle people's thinking and have them, you know, write out lists of positive things, moving their 
pictures and words around in their head and all this kind of stuff. And whilst there may be some temporary relief, it's in the in the kind of slightly medium or longer term, it's a lot of hard work to do that. And it, thinking seems to lead to more thinking, in my experience. So you have to kind of keep applying these mental techniques to give you a little bit of relief. And I believe, ultimately, if we really want to take make a step change and, and experience our, our, our potential, we have to tap into our true self. You know, I think those times when people are successful, when they're happy, the best times in their lives. So when they're in, they're in a state of flow, when they're connected to their true self, they're not, they're not in their head. So I think that by training ourselves to be in our head with mental techniques tends to keep us in our head and prevents us from really accessing the fullness of, of who we can be. So I tend to avoid the, those, those mind based techniques. Um, whilst I, I do, do acknowledge that in the short term, if you're having, you know, lots of, you know, dysfunctional thoughts that, you know, it, it can help alleviate in the short term. But as a long term strategy, I'm I'm not a big fan. Yeah. I mean, our cognition serves a purpose, but it may not be the I kind of feel that the whole change your thoughts idea is really just telling you to suppress your reactions to your emotions, which again, that's just that it sort of is repeating that cycle that you're talking about, that you don't know what you feel. So you're blocking your feelings and then thus you end up reacting, reacting to them anyway, and not even knowing what you're reacting to. Absolutely. So going into that, talking about symptoms, you said that in your book, you say symptoms are solutions and you talk about symptoms as stuck energy. Can you explain a little more about that and how you work with that stuck energy? So go just go back to what I said a couple of minutes ago. I, I always look at symptoms rather than being some evil invader that's trying to crush our lives. If we look at it as my body is sending me some feedback, so I just need to pay attention, it puts an entirely different slant on it. You know, if, if I'm if I'm going out for a walk with my wife and a stone goes in my shoe, I, I feel a, a pain, a sharp pain in my foot. And of course, that pain is useful, isn't it? If I if I don't feel that pain, then that stone will penetrate my skin, could in you know, could get infected, could get gangrene and have to have my leg taken off. And another that's a bit that extreme. Could happen. <laughs> that would be incredibly unlucky, wouldn't it? Though. <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, we at that level, we we intuitively, intrinsically know that 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 pain is serving us a purpose. I look at symptoms as all symptoms in the same way. When we come to the conditions that I work with, anxiety, depression, chronic fatigue pain, fibromyalgia, those sorts of things. I'm looking at symptoms as being a blockage of our emotional energy and a, and, and a, really a deviation from our true self. So I guess what I'm saying is that when we deviate from our true self, we get feedback in a form of emotion. If we've learned to block our, our feelings, then we don't feel our emotion. So it gets stuck. In terms of how do I unblock that, it is, it is about looking at what is taking place in the present. So, you know, the little example I used earlier, if somebody's in Starbucks at 2.30 on a Thursday afternoon and they have an increase 
in symptoms of some sort could be anxiety it could be a headache you know then i would say around that time it could be right there in that moment it could be that afternoon it could be something potentially that's happened that morning there's something where some emotion would have been blocked or there is a deviation a significant deviation from true self and the way i work with it is by uh, identifying when there are increases in symptoms we begin to see patterns and what i find is everybody has their own patterns and patterns connect to kind of deeper issues for the person which is you you know i, I kind of blandly refer to as life lessons just because history repeats itself for for, for most people and it, it you know for example it could be that there is a, a person with boundary issues it means in in this context could mean that they they're often taken advantage of or treated badly and what would that would that would be that could be one of their patterns and what we would then find is that symptoms would very often crop up around times where they'd been taken advantage of or somebody had been nasty to them or mean to them. Uh, and very often these things are quite subtle. And what happens is, is that in those instances, because the person is used to behaving in a particular way, the body, the emotion that the body would send is not felt. So the body is cranking up the volume to try to get the person's attention and sending symptoms instead. Of course, what most people do is they focus on the symptom in all, and with, a, with an eye to how can I get rid of this symptom by working on the symptom rather than the symptom is my is my body trying to tell me that there's some emotion blocked here or I'm, I'm not being true to myself here. Let me have a look at what's going on. And if I've been working with that person and we've identified that boundaries is an issue for them, we could be looking at, okay, so what happened in Starbucks, you know, on that Thursday afternoon? And it, it could be very often it's 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 very small things. You know, I think life is made up of a series of moments and in each moment, something small is happening. You know, it, it could well be that that person in Starbucks was given the incorrect change and has spotted in their hands that they they, they gave $20 for a, a $2 coffee and they were given sort of $3 change and they kind of walk away and there's a frustration that they don't really feel and all of a sudden they're sat drinking their coffee and they have, this, they have a headache that starts to, to come on. And probably what they would then do is blame the caffeine or something, or maybe I didn't get enough sleep last night, or maybe I'm not hydrated enough. These are the sorts of things that I tend to find is people are looking for them, something which is kind of obvious. And I suppose one of the tricky things about my work is that cause and effect may seem a little bit far apart. So the fact that the barista in Starbucks has possibly incorrectly given me the wrong change that's uh, this frustration which I've not let myself feel and then that's my body's letting me know that by then sending me a, 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 this headache that's you know cause and effect seem a little bit far away but people are used to thinking oh if I got a bad head it's you know it's caffeine or water or whatever so that's that that is the simple way that I that I work it becomes a little bit more complex because sometimes it's it gets deeper into the person's relationship with with themselves you know if if we're if we're looking at a deviation from true self 
so a person is not connected to their true self then there'll be there'll be reasons for that and having them reconnect is that can be something of a process because they have to learn to trust themselves they have to learn to see themselves as as worthy and worthwhile they have to really learn to love themselves to to a certain extent so but that that can all happen but that does that make sense in terms of looking at how we unblock that emotional blockage yeah and do you want to say anything about specifically how you actually unblock it like what what in the work that you do makes that happen well, or is that too much okay so no no it isn't I, it's it's it is a, it would be a series of if I give a couple of examples, it would be a series of things. So it, the, the the way I start working with people is I have them identify when they're having it, having increases in symptoms. That Starbucks example is is a genuine one, and I would suggest that as as a as, as a behavioural piece, which part of the work is behaviourally focused, I would invite that person to. To begin with, it's it's recognizing you know when they begin to reckon they can begin to recognize that okay well if I'm getting in, in if I'm getting a headache I've obviously missed some emotions all right so what what's going on here and it's okay well if I'm honest with myself I actually kind of I am my body is probably frustrated that I've been shortchanged quite literally here all right well I'll go back up and I'll I'll talk to the guy behind the behind the counter there and tell him so that would be. That, you know that's that's taking a constructive action on the emotion that was there so it could be to begin with that there you know it is looking at something behavioral if my if my body's trying to give me a shove in a particular direction it could also be so i've got a client at the moment and i, I think there are definite issues about loving himself uh, so he tends to find that he's he constantly tries to fix things for people. He's constantly, he's constantly trying to help other people out. And it's all driven by the fact that he's very concerned about how other people perceive him. So he, he wants, he's looking to be validated from the outside. We need, what I need for him to learn to do is to be validating himself. So there's a combination of behavioral things that he will stop doing or, and start doing. And there may be some, uh, little exercises, some guided feeling exercises that I would have him do where he can allow himself to begin to to feel and create feelings of of love and joy for himself. So this I, it, there's a it's, it's a bit of a process, really. I don't this, you know, I don't have a, a, a step by step sequence of of doing things. I but the I guess the biggest thing is trying to break patterns and have people reconnect with their true self so in the book what i've done is i've i guess i've highlighted a whole series of examples of, of exercises that i might invite people to do and all of the exercises are really meant as gentle nudges they're not meant as strict absolute techniques that somebody must apply they're just gentle nudges to get people to break patterns that may not be useful for them and to begin to develop that trust of true self which is really trusting their deeper feelings trusting that intuitive wisdom uh, that that is there within all of us yeah so true that that resonates so much and i think you know when we ask ourselves what do i want or 
how do I feel right now? The answer is always there, but it's just getting through those layers of things that we're doing to block connection with ourselves. I think it's absolutely true. I think for the most part, we're such a, uh, an intellectually focused set of cultures that we're, we're disconnected from our feeling experience or much of it. So, you know, I try to get people back in touch with their physical body, with the idea that there is, there's a wisdom in the body. And if you, if you, if you bring your attention into your body as you're going about your day to day life, and I don't mean forcing yourself in just again, a gentle nudge, because, you know, as I'm walking down the street, there'll be times when I'm aware of my body and times when I may be daydreaming. I, I don't want to force myself in a kind of a mindfulness kind of way where I've, you know, it's where it's an absolute technique. But if I can develop a little bit more presence and with a, with a knowledge that there is this kind of innate wisdom within me that is my true self, then I can sense when I'm having a, a nudge or a push or a, an intuitive feeling and allow myself to pay attention to that. I, I think, again, I say as a culture, we don't we just don't teach people to do that. We teach people to think their way through everything. But I don't my sense of it is that we don't we don't get back to that true self by thinking. I think it, my sense is it's an absence of thinking that allows us to reconnect. And, you know, then the, it's, it's almost like there's a flow that comes through us. My first sort of realizations of this for myself were in my early 20s. And this may sound a bit weird, but it, it felt almost like there was a cord of energy that, that moved through me, came through my back and out of my chest and kind of pulled me along. So my early 20s was a time of lots of anxiety and depression bouts of de depression and I, I I analyzed absolutely everything and I think spending five years at university probably didn't help because I just I, I analyzed life I analyzed myself I analyzed everything I did I lived in my head and I was deeply miserable and I then began to get this sense of almost like a consciousness or energy that just pulling me and my my head had become so cluttered but I, I, I felt like I'd almost reached a rock bottom where I just couldn't analyze anymore. And there was a, a, a surrender, I suppose, a letting go. And it, it was that from a place of, I just can't figure anything out. I can't decide on anything. So I'm just going to kind of let go. And when I did that, I said I had this I had this feeling, almost like this big cord of energy coming out of my chest, pulling me along. And that was, I think, the, the, the wisdom of the body, the intuitive true self which was guiding me. And I think everyone can, can get back in touch with that. It's, yeah, and I don't think you have to reach rock bottom to get there. It's just about spending a little bit more time being present in the body with a knowledge that that energy is there, that consciousness is there, that, that true self is going to guide you. But normally what happens is that the chattering monkey in, in the head uh, just is way louder so we're so busy in our head thinking about the next six things that we have to do that we all that noise and the kind of white noise as well on the periphery of our consciousness that tends to just drown out the the intuitive feelings that that we have but it's there it's all there underneath yeah and you just touched on something that I was going to ask you about in the book. One of the last chapters, possibly the, the last chapter is called 
human needs and tapping your creative flow. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people who are talking about getting into your flow, but then there are a lot of people who've never heard about it. So I would love if you could talk more about that. So there's 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 a thing called flow state. And the, the, from my understanding of it, the the idea of flow state is is it's like a peak experience. So people that have talked about it often refer to kind of top athletes or people that may be engaged in dangerous sports. And there is this peak point where the level of arousal is reasonably high. Cognition is probably drops off a bit, but there's this, they're in this flow and their performance is, is particularly high. I, I'm modifying that notion with the idea within uh, uh, within the idea of of, of uh, energy flow coaching to it being us just being in our own flow. So when I talked about that kind of that cord of energy extending th- you know through me and me just feeling pulled, that wasn't a peak experience for me. I wasn't necessarily performing at my best, but I was in my own my own flow. So. It's that idea, really, that there, there, we can be a flow, and if we pay attention to the feed, the feeling feedback that we have, and we allow ourselves to believe that, well, if I, if my body feels uncomfortable, it may be that I'm, I'm moving away from my own flow. So let me just, rather than ignoring that, maybe I can pay attention to that and I can nudge myself back into my own flow. So the idea of energy flow is being aligned with our emotional feelings and our intuitive feelings and allowing ourselves almost to be pulled along by this uh, intuitive wisdom in the body, the true self-wisdom. Great explanation. So I know when when there have been times where I've felt like I was in that state of flow, it's like it's a difference between things feeling so hard and trying to figure out what you're supposed to do and how to do it or whatever. It's just, it's just happening and it's so easy and it's so natural and it's just like, and you're feeling like, yeah, this is okay. You know, if you're, if you're creating something or if you're, you're just, you're into what you're doing and it's just flowing naturally versus well, what, what do I do here? How do I do this? What's next? And that more like thinking really controlled. Yeah, um, I, I, I think that's, that's, that's sort of spot on, really. My sense is that when we begin to experience discomfort, it's, it's often because we are trying to figure out everything in our thinking brain. And then we set up how things should be, how things should happen, when it should happen. And we're trying to drag ourselves along because the thinking brain has decided this is what should happen. And if that runs counter to the the flow of our, our emotional and, and intuitive feelings, then what we get is this internal tension. And normally what happens is people try to push through and decide, oh no, this is, you know, I've got I've got this goal in my head. And this is what I, you know, what I have to achieve. This is what I have to do. And my, I say my sense of it is, well, you know, in the short term, that might be all right. But I, I don't think it's a particularly useful or a particularly comfortable way of 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 living. I, I would, you know, I think it's better to, and I think we can spend more time experiencing our own flow by allowing ourselves to believe that, well, if I'm 
feeling tension in my body, there's every chance that what my thinking brain has set up has decided should happen may not be really deep down what I want or the way I want to do it or the timeline that I want to do it on. So by then coming back and trusting the wisdom of the body and going with that, we can get back into that flow. That's beautiful. And, you know, I I was just thinking about people saying, oh, you can't just do whatever you want. You can't just follow whatever feels right. You have to do what you're supposed to do. Everyone, things would be out of control. It'd be lawlessness. And it's like, I don't think our real true self is telling people to do things that harm other people or anything like that. It's more, it's more connected. I think it's more connecting. So if everyone was really operating from that place, probably we would be a lot kinder. There'd be less violence, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like it wouldn't be like just like, you know, a free for all. (laughs) Well, what I want is this. So I'm going to take from you and hurt you and stuff. I I think this is, you know, and I'm going back to what I was saying earlier. I I think much of our behavior is driven to try to get away from internal discomfort. And I think a lot of destructive behavior stems from that space where people believe that life outside of them is directly causing how they feel. So they have to change something out in life in order to feel different. And I think that is a major cause of bad behavior. Uh, You know, if I can, you know, if, if my, if I walk into the bathroom and my wife has squeezed the toothpaste tube from the middle and (laughs) I feel a huge amount of rage, that rage says more about my state of consciousness in that moment than it does about the toothpaste tube, because there will be probably eight out of 10 times I'll walk into the bathroom and she's done the same thing. And I will just kind of (laughs) smile and squeeze from the bottom and even, even out the toothpaste in the tube, you know, but so, but I think that, you know, what people too frequently do is see that toothpaste tube, feel the feelings, believe that the toothpaste is causing them to feel like that. And then they behave in a destructive way. Whereas being in that space of recognizing, well, my state of consciousness exists on a spectrum, which I I've highlighted a couple of times in the, in the book. And there are times when I feel connected to my true self and therefore I feel rosy and happy and all, all life is good. And there are times when I'm a little bit more disconnected, feel a bit off kilter. And when I feel a bit off kilter like that, my perception of life is a little bit more negative or hostile. My perception of myself is not so good and I'm more emotionally reactive. Simply knowing that I think is incredibly useful because as I say, then if I have a large amount of negative emotion, rather than blaming what's going on outside, I can look and say, well, actually it's just my state of consciousness in this moment. And I know that I, my natural, my natural blueprint, my natural template wants to pull me back into flow, wants to pull me back up up to the higher, higher uh, consciousness end of the spectrum. And if I react and if I believe that the toothpaste tube is causing my anger, it's just going to keep me locked in a low consciousness space. And I think we have a lot of that. I think we have a lot of people, you know, people that people who behave in a destructive and aggressive and angry manner, they're they're operating from low consciousness because they're living in perpetual fear and anger. And, 
they're trying desperately to fix it, but they're trying to fix it in a destructive way. And by doing that, they're keeping themselves locked in a low consciousness space. So if only they knew this, that actually it's not that life is making me like this. It's it's what I'm doing. It's keeping me locked down there. If I just let myself feel, I'll naturally gravitate back up towards the higher consciousness flow end of the spectrum. Oh, what a wonderful way to finish this conversation. I love that. Thank you so much. So, Kyle. Yeah. So I know we talked in the first episode that we did together about how just reading a book isn't going to be the answer to everything. But tell people how, for anyone who might have missed the first interview, let's I'll direct them back to part one, but let's tell them how they can find you more of what you're doing and possibly do energy flow coaching with you. So the book is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and high street retailers. It's on Kindle, it's on audiobook, The Intelligent Body. You can find me uh, on two websites, kyledavies.net and also on energyflowcoaching.com. Uh, and yeah, I, I work with um, individuals, with organizations on a range of things from, you know, people that are chronically with chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, anxiety, uh, depression, through to people that just feel a bit stuck or they want to improve their performance. They want to be, you know, better employees, better managers, better husbands. So, yeah, please do get in touch with me and see if I can help you. I'm sure many people are going to want to because people do listen to this from all over the world and you're in Wales, but you can work with people anywhere. I do. Yeah, I probably I would say 60 percent of my clients are U.S. based. Interestingly, so I do do a lot of work via Skype. So, yes, I'm amenable to uh, all over the world. Wonderful. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for coming back to Therapy Chat and sharing your wisdom with us. I, I think that this was a really fascinating conversation. And um, I think it's going to help a lot of people. So thank you so much. Thank you very much to you as well, Laura. I look forward to being invited back for a third time. (laughs) Hey, I can totally see that happening. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Just another reminder that if you'd like to become a member of Therapy Chat, Supporting the podcast while receiving fun member perks and being able to communicate with me one-on-one, go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. If every subscriber donated just $1 per month, therapy chat would be able to keep going strong indefinitely.
Thanks so much for your support. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.